contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey, welcome back to another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. I try to do this every now and then, every couple months, bring in my good friend Joe Banner, former president of the Eagles and the Browns, work with me at ESPN. Tremendous insights behind the curtain of the NFL from running teams. And uh, share my insights as well and try to have our listeners take a, a master class in what's going on behind the scenes. Really let it let you know how management thinks about these things. And gosh, there's so much, Joe. I'll just start right away. Your initial impressions as we record this just past the trade deadline. I'll leave you a blank canvas. There have been some major trades. I'll just let you start, and we'll go from there. You know, I, I, I think like every fan, I like seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've always had a trade or two, but I don't think we've had uh, at least names of the quantity and uh, quality that we've seen today. Um, although, you know, interesting, you know, I think the we saw some teams that were short-term thinking, trading players uh, that maybe weren't part of their long-term plans, so... You know, Brown is probably not a part of Houston long-term, although he can help him right now, and Seattle's trying to win right now, and uh, IJ with a trade to the uh, Eagles, you know, thinking a little more short-term, but trying to keep the long-term good, too. So it was really what you should see at the trade line in the NFL, where you've got a limited number of trades, primarily from teams that are... Uh, not overly optimistic about the immediate future and trying to set themselves up for the long-term trading players to teams um, that are a little more short-term uh, focused. I'm saying short-term. I'm talking a year or two. Right. I'm talking, you know, necessarily eight games. So, you know, and it's fun to watch. It's fun to kind of have a chance to speculate about it, and it'll be interesting probably over the next couple of days to read about some things that almost happened. Um, so, you know, I like seeing it. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the almost happened, it does seem like every year, you and I have been part of this. A lot of smoke and little fire. A lot happens in terms of talks, but nothing really happens. We've seen a few this year. I wrote that, you know, in my time, you know, working for Ron Wolf, he's a very aggressive guy, and we would put in proposals to the league about, yeah, can we move the trade deadline back to have more action like mm-hmm. baseball? Can we do this? Can we trade cap room? All these things. And the message I got from the league, and I'm curious if you kind of heard the same thing, which is, now nah, we really don't want to be like baseball. We don't want to rent a player strategy for the stretch run, like, you know, if you pick up a player in Thanksgiving. And they really, on the cap stuff, it's kind of like they made their bed, they'll sleep in it. We're not going to allow people to sort of uh, hit file delete with trades for cap room. So I just got the sense always from the NFL, like, you know, if we don't have a buzzy trade deadline, we're cool with that. Did you get that as well? Yeah, I was actually on the committee that reviewed those proposals you were yeah. submitting. And you might recall, I don't know, four or five years ago, we got pushed back two weeks. Two it used weeks, to be even right. two weeks earlier than this. Um, and the people on the committee, including myself, were pushing for another two weeks. You know, we wanted four weeks, really, and they eventually agreed to two. For the exact reasons you're giving. I mean, they, they like the idea that um, the teams that aren't doing as well now have a chance to do well in the future. And they were afraid that those teams would make mistakes. Um, and the second thing that they cited was... Kind of, I'm sorry, what kind of mistakes? Like mistakes just thrown away? Yeah, that they would, uh, they would go too far 
and then you'd have some really bad teams for the second half of the year and lose the, you know, hoped for competition that lasts, you know, all 17 weeks. I get it. So, and that, and that was the, uh, you know, second part of it. They felt like, you know, we have fans that have paid money for tickets. We have TV networks that have paid to broadcast games. And we run the risk of really diminishing the quality of the product to a degree that we don't want to. So they felt like this was a compliment. Let's push it back a couple of weeks. It should create a little more interest, you know, a little more opportunity to deals without turning it into baseball. They were very conscious. They understand that for baseball, that's a great thing, but they didn't think for football it was a great thing. And why do you think, not that we've had this incredible flurry, you know, like 20 trades, but we'll drill down a little bit in each one, but, but, but solid, strong players like Ajay, like uh, Marcel Darius, like Dwayne Brown, like Garoppolo. What do you attribute this little, this little flurry in 2017 to, if anything? Well, it's a flurry that's really a continuation of the offseason, yeah. which actually I think goes back. You know, I remember when I made the Trent Richardson trade in Cleveland, one of the questions that the uh, media people that reached me uh, asked was, do you think this will help create more trading in the NFL? And I said, I don't think this trade by itself, but I think this combined with you're going to see other people like me. I mean, I knew what I came from in Philly. I knew they were going to be aggressive. There were a few couple of people out there. I think that's going to start to open the door. I mean, I don't think this is ever going to become a trading league. It's not going to be baseball, even in the off season. But I do think there's a lot of room for there to be more trades than there have been. And I just think this has been building a little bit for a few years. We sort of pick up dramatically this offseason, and I agree with you. This is not a huge quantity of trades, but they're actually pretty impactful trades. I mean, the 49ers may have acquired a quarterback for the next 10 years. The Seahawks may have acquired a left tackle that could impact who plays in the Super Bowl the next two years. I mean, those are major acquisitions. We don't see many trades in football that have that potential impact. And I think it's, a you know, you and I have had and have a great relationship I think a lot of this is relationship, you know, like Howie with the Eagles, Mike Tannenbaum, we know them so well, and they know each other so well. They did the big deal last year with Maxwell and Alonzo, and it seems like that's just kind of like, okay, those two like each other and like to deal. That's going to happen. And we just saw Kelvin Benjamin to Buffalo. Obviously, those two front offices have a lot of connections. It seems like there's always been relationships, but people are really acting on them these days. Listen, there's no doubt that if you have a relationship with somebody, um, it facilitates things. Yeah. And we all know each other in the league, but there are different people. You have a different level of trust and ability to communicate. Um, you know, I'm sure the Eagles ask the Dolphins, like, is there something wrong with him? Is he a bad guy? Has he yeah. got a health issue? I mean, they'll build their own physical. But you and I both know there's some people you'd ask that question in the league, you wouldn't put any weight in what their answer was. But if it's somebody you have a relationship with, like the two guys were talking about in this example, then you're going to trust the response. And that obviously helps facilitate any of these deals happening. Right. Let's drill down quickly into each one. You mentioned the first one that uh, the 49ers might have a, a quarterback the next 10 years. I'll just ask from their angle before we get to New England. You know, they drafted Beathard in the third round. They signed Hoyer. We knew that was a placeholder signing. They didn't want Kaepernick back. Uh, so this becomes their guy. You know, now we see reports they were talking to him in the offseason as well. So are you are you taking the view that this is the guy they've wanted all along, despite drafting a third-rounder, despite uh, signing Hoyer for the short term? And then we heard rumors about Kirk Cousins in the past. 
But uh, your your response on how they went into this, the 49ers side. Yeah, I mean, I always thought Bethard was kind of, listen, we don't think this is the guy, but we need to find the guy. Uh, it's a reasonable place to use a pick on. You know, we like him. Obviously, they like him. Let's get him in and see what happens. But they really weren't expecting it to work. It's kind of like the Browns taking cuffs of the year before. They kind of had some hope. Mm-hmm. They saw some things they liked, but they weren't really counting on that uh, being the answer. I do think they had a short list that included Garoppolo. Uh, we all assume included Cousins because we just know Shanahan uh, had such positive things to say about when he's Washington. Right. You know, and they looked at the draft. So I don't think that they were like, we have to have one of, we have to have a particular one of these, but we need one of these. <laughs> So had it ended up being a solution in the draft, I think they were open to that. If it ended up being Cousins, they were open to that. But they knew they had nothing more important to do than find a quarterback that they felt uh, with uh, Kyle's offensive scheme uh, could be effective and could help uh, not just be a contributor, but help be the reason they win uh, games going forward. And listen, this all comes back, as you and I have discussed before, the effectiveness of talent evaluation. If they're right that he can be a quality starting quarterback in the NFL and they get him for what's probably the first or second pick in the second round of the draft, mm-hmm. that's a great acquisition. They're still sitting there with another second round pick and either the first or second pick in the draft in all probability. That's a great acquisition. Now, on the other hand, if he turns out to disappoint and just be a, a backup guy and they're still looking for a quarterback, yeah, they gave up a pretty good asset. Although, you know, I've pointed out that Second-round picks, depending upon exactly how you define success, you hit on about 40% of the time. Mm. So for me, trading a pick that you have about a 40% chance of hitting on a guy that can really start and help you for a possible starting quarterback for the next 10 years, especially when you consider, I mean, look what it costs to get Wentz. Look what it costs to get God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, potentially a real steal, but you got to be right on the evaluation. But I think risk-reward here to me, Great move by the 49ers. And then uh, I always think, as you do on the money side, <laughs> I tweeted last night, why didn't they get a contract on? Assuming they didn't. Because then you got, you know, the guy's a free agent. You got eight games left. Now you can tag him. But it seems to me that was your leverage to get the deal done. I'm surprised they didn't, if, if you know, unless we're missing something. Well, I don't know if you saw, but I retweeted it. And uh, you and I had the same conversation when the yeah. uh, Bradford uh, trade happened. I mean, it's it's you've got a player that wants to get out of New England, and he's not going to sell his soul for the next five years, but could you get a couple of years? So at least to, if you get stuck using a tag, you've put it off by a couple of years, yeah. and it's somewhat of a reasonable price, so maybe it's 16 or 18 per year for two years instead of, you know, they may have to go and do a deal now at 21, 23, 25 million. It just depends how far, you know, his agent wants to, you know, push the envelope because... Uh, you know, they're going to get a short window here to evaluate him and they're going to have to make a decision. The good news, though, remember, if for some reason it doesn't work and they let him hit the market and he gets signed even for a fairly modest quarterback deal, they're going to get a third-round pick back in the compensation. So what have they risked? They've risked trading back from the second round to the third round to get a seven-game look at a quarterback that could be a difference maker. That's a great deal. Even if he ends up being a bad player, with what you know at the moment, that's a great deal. And the, the last footnote on the spending is maybe in an odd way. I mean, I, I don't want to spend the York's money, but they have so much cap room. So they have too much cap room. 
So it it almost doesn't really matter how crazy their contract demands of Garoppolo is. At some point, and I know we can talk forever about the spending minimums in the NFLPA, which are, are to me, very low. uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're going to have to spend it. And they don't have a roster of many people to spend it on. But that could be part of their thinking as well, not that they'd go crazy with some outlandish, you know, $25 million a year deal. You're, you're right. I'll bet you're right that that's what they're thinking and that that's what you can do. But as you and I know, it's not that hard to go from having just an absurd amount of cap room. Yeah. And if you're improving and hitting on draft picks, to suddenly be looking around going, boy, I wish I had a little more money. So you still want to be disciplined about spending it wisely and not to at least approach the agent who's motivated to get the player out of New England. And, you yeah. know, the agent, you know, listen, you and I know you call the agents because, hey, well, listen, if I stay in New England, they're probably going to tag me and trade me. Why would I take less than that? But the truth is the player is saying, I want to get on the field. I don't want to be in a conflict with the New England Patriots. So the opportunity to at least get a couple of years, not a long-term deal, he's not going to do that, but a couple of years at a moderately lower price. I'm sure was there, and if I were them, I would have taken advantage of it. Yeah, exactly. And then from New England standpoint, it, you know, I tweeted out this today. I mean, I think fans and media are a little more concerned about who the backup to Tom Brady is than the Patriots are. Uh, we suspect they'll sign Brian Hoyer, who's going to be released or is released by the 49ers. Uh, but, you know, right now they don't seem to have a long-term plan other than Tom Brady's going to be indestructible. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the fact that they think they hit on Garoppolo, and I've been pretty impressed with the way Brissette has been playing in uh-huh. Indianapolis, considering the limited experience. Uh, they're probably feeling good about their ability to, uh, and those are second and third round picks. There aren't a long list of second and third round picks in the NFL that end up being good quarterbacks. It's not zero, but it's not, you know, usually the best pool of players. They're probably feeling pretty confident in their ability to go back to the draft. Uh, and do that again. But think about that. They may have started the season with three quality starting NFL quarterbacks oh. on the roster over over time. Right. And now they have one and he's 40. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> not how you'd usually do it. <laughs> Who are we to question the Patriots about anything? <laughs> well, yeah, and I saw Belichick's comments that we kind of ran the course. We tried to hold on as long as we could. It reminded me of my early days not later days when Aaron was there, but early days in Green Bay when we had a succession of Aaron Brooks and Matt Hasselbeck and others where you know, there was no way in God's green earth those guys were ever going to play for us. Uh, but, again, the difference was Brett was, Favre was, you know, low 30s, 33, and Tom Brady's 40. So, but same concept. They just don't see an end to Brady. Yeah. Moving on to Dwayne Brown, you mentioned that one. I guess my question is a same question on the contract, uh, which they didn't uh, adjust, and Russell Wilson did the cap move to allow them to, to bring in Brown. Um, it sort of says to me maybe his problems in Houston were more than contract. I mean, he held out, which we haven't had since you know Sean Gilbert 20 years ago. He held out half the season, and I ostensibly because of the contract. But he's not getting a new contract in Seattle. So I guess, do you see it as I do? Maybe he had more problems with Houston than the contract, especially in light of McNair's situation a couple of weeks ago and the meetings? 
Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't have any insight, but I would get, make the same guess as you from the outside. And this is a little different than what we're talking about Garoppolo because he now has a year and a half left on the deal, and he just held out. And as you know, you worry a little bit about even on a new team, which helps give you an excuse, but you worry a little bit about what's the message to the team, my existing players. I mean, they get some guys there like Bennett and Chancellor who think they're coming back around for the next new deal. Right. You know, what are you saying if you acquire a guy from another team that just held out and you give him a new contract with a year and a half left, you know, how do you not answer the door when those guys knock? So I do think they had some leverage there if they wanted to use it because he wanted to get out of Houston. Um, but a little more complicated than Garoppolo because the impact in your locker room is at least a risk of it being a little bit more than what we talked about in San Francisco. Do you put them, I mean, we'll talk about the Eagles in a minute, but do you put their chances markedly improve with that acquisition? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I, listen, the only weakness they have on that team uh, is the offensive line. I mean, it, the roster's getting older, and I don't think they're very far from uh, having to make some awfully good draft picks to sustain their success, but they're not there yet. Uh, and there's no more p- important position in the offensive line than your left tackle. So I do think it makes a big difference. Now, you know, I'm sure you did the same study we did. The risk of injuring yourself when you've held out, even yeah. just for a training camp, is dramatically increased. So they're taking a little bit of a risk here that he's going to stay healthy now the rest of the season. And most of the time you do. But compared to a guy that hasn't held out, you have a significantly increased risk of injury here. Um, but assuming he stays healthy, I actually think it makes them a lot better and elevates them from you know, a team that had a chance to make the Super Bowl, but there were other teams you thought were more likely at this point, to putting them in an equal plane, in my mind, with the teams that are most likely to get there. You know, the last point on Seattle, more my point, but you can respond to it, is just having worked with Ted Thompson and John Schneider, Ted Thompson value second round picks like they're gold, you know, like they're Fort Knox. John Schneider, who worked closely with Ted all those years, has now traded next year's number two for Sheldon Richardson and the following number years number two for Dwayne Brown. Just different philosophies from guys that work so closely together. It's really interesting to me. Yeah, and and I think it reflects what I said earlier. I think the Seahawks realized we probably got another year or two and then we're going to really have to, you know, rebuild this roster in a way that, you know, maybe for a year or two we're good, but we're not great. Uh, so let's seize the moment. Of course, they're giving away picks that will make it harder to rebuild the roster. <laughs> right. But I think their feeling is, you know, let's let's not let this window pass. You know, I don't know how much longer the Bennetts and the Shermans and Chancellors are going to be here and some of the guys, you know, we've built this on. It's a contradiction. It, it, you you experience this, and I experience this too, because when you have a younger quarterback – you're usually very conscious of staying in a position where you have enough picks and cap room to stay good. Right. They have a young quarterback, but they actually seem to be kind of going for it in the short term here over the next year or two, more so than most teams of the young quarterback would. And speaking of season the moment, let's talk about Philadelphia. You have so many ties here. Uh, you, No one knows Howie Roseman better than you. Um, and, of course, he and I are friends and neighbors. As I sit here, he's about two blocks from me. Um, they are having a a wonderful season that, you know, first your reaction, is how hard was this to foresee? They, we obviously knew they had the player at quarterback, but their defense has been a revelation and they seem to be making it work. 
with receivers that are not dramatically different than last year, although improved from last year. Yeah, I mean, I started saying in the spring um, that I thought that they were the best team in the division. Mm-hmm. To take this all the way to the point where they're 7-1 and one and they have the best record in football, uh, I can't imagine there was anybody actually out there predicting that. You know, man, they had a couple of key weaknesses. Uh, the cornerback position is one that most teams that win a lot are at least solid to strong at. And, you know, they started the season there with some huge question marks. Uh, I was very worried by the time I said the biggest risk to their season, other than the quarterback getting hurt, is Jason Peters, who's stayed healthy last year, but truthfully, over the last three or four years has had increasingly uh, struggled with his health. So right. uh, now they got the Peters problem. We'll see, you know, how much of a problem that ends up being. But, you know, they have done this, in my mind, very smartly. They have both protected the future and given themselves a chance to win by signing a Jeffrey to a one-year deal, by bringing in a Tory Smith with a deal that they can get out of in, in short order, um, by bringing in a guy like a Jay, by bringing in a Jernigan. They gave themselves a chance to be really good this year And at the same time, they're basically going to be able to recycle that money to either re-sign those players or extend other players as they look to the future and, you know, still hopefully have some success in the draft. So I would actually tell you that all the teams in the league, if I had all 32 teams right now and you asked me, not just because of Wentz, to predict who I think has the best chance of sustaining success as we look forward here right now, I would put the Eagles literally first out of all 32 teams. Now, Wentz helps with that, but I also think they've just played the balance of draft picks and younger and older players and cap that gives you a shot in the short term but doesn't, uh, you know, mortgage the future. I think they've done that really, really well here. Yeah, that's a bold statement. I mean, and I'll, I'll follow up again. Even more than assuming health the next couple of years, uh, the Packers and the Patriots. The health That's of the quarterbacks, assuming health of the yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that they're, it's not going to be far before people are literally talking about Wentz as the best quarterback in the league, and I already think he's in top five, top ten, worst-case scenario, but I actually believe top five. After that, for me, the teams that win and sustain success are the teams that are capable of dominating the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the so they just drafted a guy in the first round who at least so far looks like a good player. We'll see how good, but at least good. They've got Graham and Cox and Curry under contract and young enough to be there for years. They've got four of their five offensive linemen, if I count the fifth guy as Peters, that is likely to be there for years. So in my mind, they have a young quarterback and the players to be able to dominate the line of scrimmage both offensively and defensively here for you know, three to five years. You know, when we look back at we were building the Eagles in 1999, that's what we were saying. There are very few teams that get in a position where you get a quality young quarterback and quality young players on both lines that are capable of being dominant. So that's what I base that on and why I kind of put them ahead of those other teams in terms of sustained success. What's Miami doing with Ajay? Is that, like you said earlier, is there something we don't know about Ajay? Uh, yeah, well, to download a guy who's your top, top running back? Not making any money, top running back, and you watch the tape. He's a very good player. I mean, he's a very good player. Um, 
You know, listen, there have been a lot of questions about his knee. I think there's some truth there about his longevity being a question. Um, remember last year, the first thing Gase did was he benched him, didn't take him on a road trip to start the season. Uh, so we know he's not the most kind of middle-of-the-road kind of guy behaviorally. Mm-hmm. But still, for the quality of the player and the size of the contract, I was surprised to see him make the move. I suspect there's more that we don't know than what I just said. Even with that, and you tweeted this out, uh, you know, why not someone else with a higher fourth or a third-round pick? Because everything you're just talking about, and we saw Gase's comments after their blowout loss, like they're going to move some people, and he was obviously one. You know, you mentioned Dallas, who's facing uh, without Elliott for six games, seemed like a natural higher fourth. I guess I'm, you know, I accept what you're saying, and then my question is, you know, someone else could have stolen them besides the Eagles. Listen, if I were running Dallas, um, I'd be beating myself off if I hadn't made the call to find out if he was available. Um, because, truthfully, a fourth-round pick is really not a whole lot of compensation. I mean, you know, it's a, it, it's a pick with a relatively low chance of ever producing a starting player that in both Dallas's case and Philadelphia's case, and Dallas even more so, uh, gives you a chance to preserve the possibility of a really big season. I mean, a really big season. Yeah. I mean, the NFC is is without a dominant team, unless it's the Eagles. Whoever's second place is a decent gap at the moment. Um, and for the Cowboys, you know, they're getting back. They've gotten back some players on defense. They've got some talent on offense, but they got to get through the next six games. And you know, the integration of their running game with their passing game has been, you know, it's been really valuable. So. That's not a lot to give up for a player that could impact your chances of taking a deep run in this in the playoffs and maybe even a Super Bowl appearance. That's pretty modest. Yeah. Last trade before we hit a couple off-field issues. You know, last week didn't have it at the deadline, but the Jaguars acquiring Marcel Darius. This is a guy. I looked at that contract again, Joe. That is one of the more stunning contracts in recent history in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, this guy with issues coming into it with issues, no. No. stunning contract, Fletcher Cox, like uh, even better. No. And, uh, and they moved him, and the Jags took him on. Now they, they take on like 14 million of, of dead cap. But I guess what, what I, what I want your comment on is here is like, we just talked about the Jags know what they're getting here. Right. And it was no. addition by subtraction for Buffalo. Yeah, first of all, <laughs> completely agree. I mean, from a team perspective, hard to understand the thinking behind the contract. From a player-agent perspective, congratulations. Right. Uh, mainly be- the nature of the guarantees and lack of offsets and everything else for a player that has historically had off-field problems. You don't see that. You know, players like this that get big contracts, there's a lot of protections in them in case there's any more problems with the players. I mean, usually you don't get them, Period. If you happen to get this kind of a contract for a player with this history, there's all kinds of protections in there for the team, so that isn't it. You know, listen, the Jags are uh, very clear, and I always respect the team, whether I agree with them or not, that there's no ambiguity in what they believe in and what their plan is, and they're staying true to it. So they are clearly trying to build a dominant defense here and play a very conservative offense, shorten the game, and try to win low-scoring games, even against good teams. And... You know, Doug Marone had Darius in Buffalo. 
So he's got the experience of knowing exactly what he's getting, and he has to have decided that the risk-reward is worth it to him here. But I would have been thrilled if I was Buffalo just to get out of the contract or partially out of the contract, I guess is the way to say it, right. and have anything to show for it. Um, same thing now. He's a very good player. So if he goes back to being with Doug, and Doug can keep him, you know, playing on the field to his potential. You know, this will be one of those relatively small trades, number of trades that we look at and say, you know what, this actually worked out for both teams. But it's all dependent upon how he behaves off the field. <laughs> and the one thing you and I know so well, when you have a guy like that, giving him a ton of money is not going to help the problem. It's only going to exacerbate yeah. it. Yeah. And you know what? That's one of those where, uh, I mean, sometimes something comes up later and it surprises you and, you know, you reevaluate the quality of contract or whatever it may be. This was one where yeah. everything that had gone wrong was very public. Yeah. And you kind of look and they go, wow, how, what, what was the thinking here? So, but it's a different set of people in there now for the most part. Um, and uh, I think you'll see them do better. I mean, I worked with Sean McDermott for yeah. many years. I tweeted the minute he was hired that this was a very serious guy, that they now really had a chance to succeed. Um, I didn't know Bean, but I knew people had a lot of respect for him. I promise you, no one will outwork Sean. No one will be more detail-oriented. Uh, no one will be more thoughtful. He was very, he asked a zillion questions about the strategies and the reasons why we did things in Philly over the years. Uh, so they won't get everything right. No one does, but I think you'll see sound thinking behind the moves they make. Yeah, and I echo you in the Sean McDermott fan club. When you brought me in to help out with the Eagles, got to know Sean very well and uh, checked in with him as he was considering his options, and he had options more than Buffalo, which is great for him. A um, couple off-field things. We mentioned it with Dwayne Brown. Uh, these McNair comments and what got out from league meetings, I guess my first reaction was, Jesus, you know, who's leaking that? Because being in those meetings, nothing ever gets out. And then, you know, again, I just think everything's emotional right now. I didn't think the, the comments, he meant to say asylum, not prison. But, you know, we're in an age where, the, uh, you know, as you know more than I do with, with your tweets, this uh, forget about sports. Nationally, we're very polarized, but it seems to be dipping into sports as well. So when you saw that and the reaction of the Texans, what was your, what was your first thoughts? Yeah, I guess I, I have a... <clears throat> compared to most of the louder voices, a little bit of a nuanced reaction, because I think you can both think that what Bob said, and I know Bob well, and I actually like Bob, and I respect Bob, yeah. um, so I was very surprised to the comments, but I think you can both be uh, outraged by the comments and find them to be insensitive and indefensible, uh, and at the same time, you know, expect an appropriate reaction. I mean, he said something that's indefensible, insensitive. If we're really honest about it, it may or may not have been racist. Hard right. to get into his heart and know the answer to that question. So, you know, to start walking out of practice, things like that, you know, to me, um, there are so many instances in my mind where you have flagrant discrimination and racism um, that we can focus on and real issues like social justice and education and, you know, other such things right. that can really help people. That when we get distracted by, you know, Kaepernick's method of protest or, you know, the intent of McNair's words, it distracts from an opportunity I think exists at this moment for one of the first times 
I've seen at this level in professional sports for alignment between the players and the owners to do something really good for the people and the people that need somebody to stand up and be a voice for them. And I hate to see us get distracted into the, you know, the method or the words, which again, I think we're indefensible and insensitive. So I'm not excusing them even remotely as opposed to staying laser focused on how do we build a partnership here that we actually have a real opportunity to build that can really make a difference for people that really need people uh, like players and owners and in positions of power and wealth to stand up on their behalf and make a difference. I, I just hate to see us get distracted from that very clear point, which I think when you get away from all this is what everybody really wants yeah. to see happen. But in the moment we get caught up in the, in the emotions of the words and we get distracted from the bigger picture. Yeah. And kudos to guys like Malcolm Jenkins, who just does seem to stay on task. As you said, you know, we didn't have meetings this week, but we will have meetings and just try to get this thing going. I, I think sometimes we do lose like, Oh, what's going on? You know, whoa, we got to fight, fight, fight like you're in eighth grade recess. Um, but the guys who sustain, like a Doug Baldwin, like a Malcolm Jenkins, uh, Anquan Bolden. The league seems more receptive to me. I said this the other day, Joe. I was in league meetings for 10 years. I never saw a player. I never saw a player. No, and they had, they had 12 players last couple of weeks ago and more to come. By the way, I hate to think of it in these terms, but listen, this is the way the world works. Maybe the clearest point of leverage the players have been able to approach a discussion with the owners with in a very, very long time. So use it wisely, don't abuse it, and achieve something really meaningful. And I actually think the owners and the league office are open to that. Right. Maybe I'll end up being super disappointed because you know we're still in the talking phase, but from what I know of these people and what I see them doing and I, the fear they seem to have about the impact on the business, of some of the things that are happening, I think there's a real unique opportunity here that the players can accomplish something really meaningful, as I say, for people that really need us to accomplish something meaningful for. Yeah, and speaking of accomplishing, I mean, when we talk about the NFL now, it does seem like we're distracted with all these issues. It's funny, the trade deadline has really brought us back to football. Uh, mm -hmm. And the leader leadership, just a comment there, because McNair sort of... Uh, However we want to believe it, some change the comments like, hey, I was talking about league officials. To me, that struck me as well, because is there a real sense of disconnect between league office and ownership, which can be a big problem? I guess your thought there and on this sort of back and forth on the Goodell extension, to me, it just seems sensical. Maybe it is an incentive-laden deal. I've heard that a few times. I've never heard, unless you have. There's a question of whether he gets an extension, not just more on the structure. I haven't heard that either, but there's only a small number of people, um, you would, but I don't know anybody hearing us would, knows the fact that 17 owners got on a call at the time they got on it secretly, excluding 15 other owners in the league office. It's just so yeah. shocking to me. Yeah. So out of the realm of the way the owners deal with each other and deal with the league office. And I'm going to be really interested to see where it leads because that is 
just so, so contrary to the history of the league and ownership looking out for league interests versus individual and owners collaborating with each other, even owners that don't like each other and compete on the field uh, in a constructive way. Just to think about somebody initiating that call and then 17 people, that's a majority of the owners agreeing to get on that call. And I'm sure you'd agree that's so stunning and that's so out of the history of how the league operates and how the owners deal with each other. I was flabbergasted when I heard that story. It kind of leads to my last question. As we take stock halfway, here we are, halfway through the NFL uh, 2017 season, where do you think we are? How, how, how booming, how good a business is it? Are we headed towards issues that are taking us the wrong way? We talked about sort of uh, the off-field stuff. You look at the NFL halfway through the season. Is business good? You know, I've been dismissing conversations about the demise of the NFL yeah. uh, for years. And demise is still a dramatic overstatement. But this is the first time I've actually believed there are things going on that put the long-term, you know, kingness <laughs> of the NFL at risk. The NFL isn't going to become unpopular or, you know, there's nothing that extreme that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but could the issues around uh, injuries, especially brain injuries, could the discord with the players where you have this division that is so much greater than it's ever been, um, could the issues around the uh, politics of the country start to infiltrate the game in a way that truly turns off people from the escape that it's always been? You know, remember, it only takes three, five, seven percent. It's not like half the people of football fans have to leave the game to impact the business. Right. A relatively small percentage turns it from something that's just this dominant business, demanding whatever it wants, whoever wants to be affiliated with it, to something that becomes a lot more mainstream. And for the first time, my own opinion is that things are happening that put the long-term, you know, level that the league has been at. It's not jeopardizing being great, but the level that it's been at for the first time in my mind is threatened. Um, and that's unfortunate because we still have a phenomenal game that when you sit down and watch a game, it's just a great, fun thing to do. Yeah. I hate to see it being damaged. If that's true, and even small, even even if infinitesimal related to the big picture, how do you counteract it? How do you rectify it? Well, you know, I won't say who, but I had a conversation recently with somebody that not too long ago had a massively powerful position in the league. Yeah. And I said to him, what do you think's changed that's created this kind of instability? And he said the league used to take pride in, focus on, and be outstanding at figuring out how to solve the problems that hadn't yet happened. Mm. Now, it reacts to problems when they happen. Mm. He said, over time, that's a massive difference in outcome. And I thought it was brilliant when he said that, and I thought it was true. So my answer to your question is, get back to anticipating. You know, where are we headed? You know... I, I don't think the league kept secret 
uh, issues that it knew about with respect to potential brain injury, but I think it was too skeptical about information for too long. Right. So, you know, anticipate things that could be down the road. Literally sit down, use the brain power in the league office and in the teams and in the ownership groups and solve problems before they happen right. or anticipate how you're going to solve them when they happen uh, because it's not a good practice to be in a situation where too often you're reacting to things that are happening and then trying to fix them versus anticipating them and solving them before they happen. It's a great comment, and uh, we'll leave it at that. And I, I would just say that that's true for all businesses, right? You can't be in yeah, crisis absolutely. mode because not only does yeah. crisis mode put you defensive, but it, it's like a person's heart. You're constantly kind of... Uh, bringing in cortisol and, and stressing where it becomes fatigued uh, and fans I mean, become fatigued. I don't think, uh, and listen, my position of Roger has always been, I generally think Roger's done a good job, although there are certainly things that I, he's done that I disagree with. So I'm not a basher and at the same time, I'm not just a blind defender. It shouldn't have been hard to anticipate that if you start to punish players with financial fines, for every illegal hit. They're grown men that there was a risk of this boomerang in a back and away that continued to anger them and I mean this in the gentlest way, radicalize them mm-hmm. against management. There's gotta be a more productive way to deal with all of that. So now we're where we are. Well, on, the, on, on the on field stuff do you think that's solved by having former players, kind of NFLPA jointly assigned players like uh, Derek Thomas and others on the on-field stuff? Has that helped? You know, the off-field stuff is all Goodell. We know that. Yeah, I, I think it helps. But the notion, I mean, to me, just the notion that there's a series of penalties. They're just penalties. They're game penalties. Yeah. Result in fines. I think it should be more selective. I think it should really be, I mean, the intent, at least as I understand it, is to try to make the game safer and create a real consequence when something happens on the field that puts another player's health at jeopardy. I think you just be more selective about that, maybe even more draconian. In my mind, the consequence of playing versus fine impacts more players in a more dramatic way and would rally the coach and the team to support it. Uh, you know, when a player gets fined 10 to 15, $20,000, first, frankly, to most players, it doesn't matter. And to the coach and the owner of the team, they don't care. Hmm. If a player gets suspended for a game or half a game or gets a warning that if this happens again or it's happened three times, you'll get suspended, I think you'll truly change behavior. I think we've seen subtle changes in behavior from what they've done, but not to the degree in as quick a time as I'd like to think they were hoping. Right. All right, Joe, I've kept you a long time. <laughs> it's been great as always. Uh, Pleasure. You always enjoy talking, and uh, I know our, our listeners do as well. We'll talk again soon. Joe Banner on the Business of Sports podcast. Thanks, my friend. Take it easy. Good talking to you. Hope you enjoyed that Inside the Ropes podcast with Joe Banner about everything, the trades on field, off field, what's going on with the league, and his really prescient comments about what the NFL should be looking for in the future, not reactive but proactive. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Listen to the podcasts at RossTucker.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you hear your podcasts. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.